Listening Dog Media. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Joe Hart signed for Manchester City at the age of 19. Four Premier League Golden Gloves later, the goalkeeper has amassed 73 international caps and spent the majority of his career as England's number one. During his time at City, he's won two Premier League titles, an FA Cup and two League Cups. But not part of current manager Pep Guardiola's plans, he's openly admitted his next silverware will have to come from elsewhere. Offside Rule Exclusives with Kate Borsay and Lindsay Hooper. This is the Offside Rule Exclusives with Joe Hart, guest edited for this episode by another England goalkeeper, this time for England women, Carly Telford, who set you some questions. Joe's with us now, myself, Kate Borsay, Lindsay Hooper. Um, we've met in a hotel in Canary Wharf where Joe lives nearby. First thing I've got to say, Joe, this is a funny place to find a footballer. Do you get on with men in suits? Do you like the whole business environment? Because it wouldn't be the first place that I'd think of for a footballer of your calibre to reside. It works for me. Um, it's, it's perfect for the training ground. Um, you know, I don't have to fight any traffic to get to it. Also, the, the stadium's close. And I think it's a really nice place to live. Um, you know, people tried to put me off. They tried to say that, you know, what you just said. But there's, there's, also, there's loads more to it. Um, it's a good environment, don't get me wrong, there is a lot of suits walking around, but now we feel really comfortable here. I can tell that Joe's never been to the tube at half past eight mm. in the morning. Joe, it's mental. <laughs> it's like lots of little ants running around. Um, Joe, let's um, go into this by talking a little bit about you as a young footballer um, and um, your dad as well, who identified, so I gather, your ability from a very young age. Is it, is it right that you were catching and throwing balls from the age of two? Um, I don't know, that's... That's what's said, but um, I just kind of loved, I've always loved um, sport, anything to do with a ball or a football or a cricket ball or a tennis ball. Mum said that, you know, I wasn't really interested in any kind of uh, fancy toys. That was all I wanted and, you know, not much has changed. A few people who've looked into your career before have, have 
picked up on the cricket connection. Um, and it was very close that you were going to go down a cricketing route rather than, than football at one point, I believe. But also you, you actually shared some time with people who went on to play for England, didn't you? Yeah, I've played, um, I played to a decent level and um, I really enjoyed playing cricket. And, I, you know, I still love the sport and the game. Um, I was getting some opportunities around the age of 16. Um, you know, not I didn't have a nailed-on cricket career. I wasn't literally decided between one or the other, but I had options to explore, um, you know, a, a better education and a, with a cricketing option tied in um, or the football route. And, you know, the football route felt like the right one for me and, and it worked out well. I'm from a part of the world that's not so far from where you're originally from and, and you started your career at one club and I just want to clear this up because having been a football reporter up and down the country, the amount of times I hear this place said different ways yeah. and uh, their nickname is the Shrews. So can yeah. you clarify once and for all, is it Shrewsbury? I've always known it as Shrewsbury but um, it depends what you think of yourself. You can call it, <laughs> you can call it Shrewsbury if you really want but um, <laughs> I've always grown up in Shrewsbury um, playing for Shrewsbury Town but... Um, you know, there's different ways of saying it. Like I say, it depended on how, uh, what you think of yourself. Your career at Shrewsbury was unprecedented, really, at the time. You, you know, locally became well-known. Your manager at the time had great things to say about you. Um, and unsurprisingly, quite a few clubs came down to have a look at you. City was the one that you went with at the age of 19. What was it about City that was right for you at that time? And did you ever envisage having such a long career with them? You know, like you said, there, were, there was a lot of interest, but I think that's because I was just a young, a young player, especially for my age, um, playing men's football. So um, it was quite interesting for people to come down and see. But I stayed away from it really. I let my my agent, who I'm still with now, deal with that situation, um, and we just we kind of let it play out the best way it could. And and Man City had the had the strongest interest. Stuart Pearce and um, Tim Flowers at the time. You know, made made contact, and um, yeah, I think it worked out the best way it was going to do. There was no there was no huge plans. I turned up there as um, as a number three, going to learn going to learn how to how to play football at the top level, and you know, potentially go out on loan, potentially play for the first team, and it was um, it was it was then in my hands. They gave me the opportunity to go there, and I'm I'm grateful for that. And Shrewsbury eventually let that happen. It was you know there was a few hairy moments, but that's football. But we we got there in the end. At the age of 19, to kind of attract, and probably earlier than that as well, to, to attract attention from major clubs, no matter how level-headed you are, that's a pivotal point in your career, isn't it? And you can be as level-headed as you want, but you, mu- you must have, you must have realised the, the enormity of the move that you're about to make. Yeah, I did, but it was, um, it was a different move for me. I wasn't a 19-year-old going into play immediate Premier League football. It was... Um, it was we, we see potential in you. We want to work with you, but um, it's kind of down to you how you want to how you want to deal with the situation. Um, you know, do you want to look at it as um, you've made it, or do you want to look at it as a great opportunity to to see what football can can bring for you? And um, I'm pleased with how I got my head down. Um, I kind of do what feels right. I didn't really think about it. Um, I turned up very excited, very interested in how Premier League players, how the stars, you know, that I grew up watching, did things. 
Um, and, you know, I didn't really see, I didn't have a set route. I didn't see how I was going to make it. I just thought I'm just going to give it my all, you know, and I'm going to, I'm going to die trying and whether it takes me, you know, whether that meant that I'd eventually see my contract out at City and, and sign for a League Two or League One club, then so be it. You know, I'd keep fighting and keep trying to play to the best I could. And were there players there who you admired, who you spoke to, who were the players looking back on it now, who perhaps influenced you in some way and how? I think everyone was great there. Um, you know, I signed the same day as Paul Dickoff signed for the second time for the club. Um, and he was he was absolutely awesome to me. He, you know, with the greatest respect, he didn't know who I was, but he knew that I'd signed. He knew that Stuart Pearce had faith in me. Um, and he knew how difficult it was. You know, he'd moved from wherever he'd moved from in Scotland one day to England. Um, he knew that I wasn't from the, you know, Shrewsbury's not the most busy or it's not a city. Um, and he understood um, that I, I was going to need people like him showing me the right direction. Um, so it was a friendly arm. Nicky Weaver was absolutely fantastic with me. Casper, you know, we were the same age. Casper was, you know, one of the best keepers in the Premier League um, now, was, was at City at the time, and he was, he was so good with me, uh, made me feel welcome, and, you know, we've got a, a lasting relationship till now. Um, people like Trevor Sinclair, you know, just... And, and the, the foreign guys, it was in, it was interesting to me to see foreign footballers. Cause I've, never, I've never seen a foreign footballer till I signed for Manchester City, and you know the different cultures and different ways people did things. So it, it was all good for me. Joe Hart, the offside rule exclusives. Yours is obviously a story of persistence at Manchester City, going out on loan a couple of times, coming back. But within that fabric of, of that story, there's always the champion and there's always the manager that then gives you that first chance to put on the shirt and be number one. For you, w- would you say that Sven Joran Eriksson has been a, a big influencer in your career? Yeah, um, I think, I think uh, good and bad, I can say that every single manager I've had, you know, right from... Um, you know, Jimmy Quinn to Gary Peters. And then Stuart. Stuart was huge for me, Stuart Pearce. Um, you know, I only played one game under him as a Manchester uh, Man City manager. But for him to take me out of non-league to pay, you know, 600000 up front to, to, you know, which nowadays means nothing. But then it was, um, you know, it was asking his chairman to take a chance and spend some money um, was huge. Then Sven came in um, and was fantastic for me. Then Mark Hughes came in. Um, that was, you know, an, another important time in my career because um, I'd gone from playing and being important number one to a new manager coming in and deciding that I wasn't for him. He wanted the experience, so I got moved aside. I had to go back onto the bench um, and then get myself out to Birmingham because I thought that was that was it for me at Man City because um, whilst Mark Hughes was there, you know, I wasn't going to play. Then obviously he moved on. I had a great year with Alex McLeish, and then. I didn't know what the plan was from there, but Mancini made it clear that he wanted me back. He he saw great potential in me, you know, and that worked out well. We had, we worked well together. Um, he finished. Manuel came in. Another experience of me being left out of the team after being in the team for a long, long time. Um, I thought he was great with how he did it. Got me back in the team. We won the Premier League again, you know. And then um, Pep came in, made it clear that again that I wasn't for him. So I had to I had to go. And find somewhere new to play. I really enjoyed my time in Torino last year and I'm, I'm enjoying my time with West Ham. Speaking with professionals, often when they're at sort of your level, you'd say that they know they've had the rejection. There's no way you get to the level that you are in your career and you've not had some rejection along the way. And I think that's probably across the board. But the thing that you must battle with is if you're not given the chance, because there's there's having a go and, and showing what you can do and, and then someone deciding, actually, I prefer doing it this way. But under a couple of those managers, it was really difficult for you to get a chance. And on the latter occasion, you never even did. Yeah, but that's... um. 
that's life and that's football. We all want a fair chance at everything, but that's not how it works. And me waiting for that to happen and wait for a fair shot at things, um, that's not the industry. I've been in it for a long, long time now. And maybe when I was, um, what was I, 22, when Mark Hughes did it, it made me a lot angrier than it did this time because I didn't know how to deal with it. I didn't know how to cope with it. You know, I was football was just starting to fall for me. Things were starting to happen. And it was a real shock when I was told no. But now, um, you know, lots of things have happened to me in my life, lots of interesting things, not just football. My life isn't just football. I've had rejections. I've had, um, you know, interesting things happen to me. So when this situation happened, um, I'm all up for a fight. Um, a fair fight is good for me. And if I lose, I'll, I'll shake hands with my opposition. But um, I realised that maybe this wasn't going to be my opportunity for a good fight. So I looked elsewhere. There was no point in getting upset or getting irate because at the end of the day, there was only one winner. Um, there was a guy that Man City had put in charge with a lot of power because they'd, they'd fought like hell to get him as their as their number one manager. So, you know, he had, he had decisions to make. He made his decision with me. So we shook hands and we moved on. Many who, who relate Pep's career to his great times at Barcelona might see the irony in the statement that I'm about to t- say, which is you played for Manchester City in, in a, it was a last 16, round of 16 tie for Manchester City against yeah. Barcelona. And in that, um, not only did you do the one thing that not many people can say they've done, which is save a penalty uh, taken by uh, Lionel Messi which is one thing. But you also, in that match, went on, you made 10 saves. I think that was a record in a match, like 10 brilliant saves. And that player, the player that we talk about for Ballon d'Ors, comes out afterwards and says, you're a phenomenon. You know, there's an irony in all of that, that his links there, the fact that the world's best player is saying that you are brilliant. Yeah, there is. But, um, you know, that was a... For me personally, that night, it was a great duel, especially with one of the greatest players, if not the greatest players to play the game. But um, he goes through those duels weekly, you know, because he's testing goalkeepers and he, he wins the majority of the time. But, you know, my performance wasn't a one-off. I'm sure he's experienced times when he just can't score past a goalkeeper. So it was a good moment. It was more frustrating for me that um, it wasn't enough in the tie. We didn't win the tie. But um, I don't look at it ironically. It was a, it was a moment. It was a memory. But... Um, in terms of comparing it to, you know, the manager of Man City now, it, it doesn't interest me in comparing it to him. I'm just, you know, I'll I'll do my career and other people will do their own and um, I'll see where it takes me. Was that your best ever match? Um, no, because we didn't, we, we lost and we lost the tie. So uh, I had a lot to do and I made some, it was, on, it was on a big stage, you know, to do to do those things at the, the Camp Nou um, in a Champions League gets a lot of people's attention. But I've had... Um, I've had other games that I find more important because it, you know, I affected the game for us to win it. I'm just going to round off on Pep because I'm going to give you my take on it as an external person and obviously you know different. But to me, it feels like there was a statement to be made there. It wasn't just about him creating a team who he believed in. It was about him setting his stall out. And we see it all the time. You know, we're in one of the finance capitals of the world. It happens here all the time. A new manager comes in, a new director, a new FCO, a new CEO comes in, and they make a statement, and they make a statement by taking often someone who's who's branded, who, who is Mr Man City, who does represent a lot of what that club's about, and they make a statement with them. Is it fair to say that Guardiola's statement wasn't about ability and the way that you play or the way that you might fit into his team? There was also a bit about him being the new manager and wanting to be definitive, to kind of make a statement 
about him being the new manager, about him being in control at that club. I understand what you're saying, but um, you know, I'm I'm certainly not going to second guess why. I the only the only thing that I know that came of it was I needed to leave. So why he did it or what the intentions were, I don't really care because it makes no difference to me. It makes no difference to my life because um, it was the one thing that was important to me was that. I wasn't going to play football for Man City anymore, so that's the most important thing to me. Whether I was a statement or whether, I, or whether it was just literally a managerial decision, is not my problem. My problem is having this short career, trying to play at the top level, and that was going to be jeopardised. So I needed to look elsewhere. You rather hurriedly had to go to Torino. You didn't have much time really to um, make that move happen, and I'm sure Pete, who's your manager here today, was um, hurriedly trying to sort things out for you. Tell us a bit about your time at Torino. One thing I've got to say is those tracksuits were awful, Joe. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I saw, saw a couple of videos and I thought I was watching something from the 80s. Mm. Goodness me. <laughs> yeah, we were, with, we were with the Kappa brand and I was assured that the, the owner of Kappa was a Torino fan, which made me scratch my head. I don't know who it was. <laughs> but um, I, had a, I had a great year there. Like you said, it, was, um, it came about in a really strange way. Um, you know, I finally got the definitive definitive answer that I needed to leave Man City very late in the transfer window when you know a lot of goalkeeper business had been done you know it's one of the first things that 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 gets done so for people to be able to necessarily afford my like you know budget for my wages or budget for me to come to their club or need me when they've already got probably every nearly every team had a nailed on number one goalkeeper it was tough so you know we were we were scratching around anywhere we could and we were so grateful. Well, me, I was so grateful that Torino um, put the neck on the line for me. Um, I spoke with the manager. He, I think he, it, was, it was important. I, I, was, I said to my management that I want to speak to any coach that this is involved in because I didn't want to speak to a, to a chief executive or anything like that. I, wa- I wanted the coach to want me to, and want me to play for his team and I wanted him to hear who and what I represent and what I am because, you know, it can get very clouded when... Um, you needed to hear that, didn't you? Yeah. And, you know, people um, people's opinion probably could, could get clouded of me because, um, you know, a lot gets said and a lot gets talked about and I'm not the kind of guy to, if something bad that gets said about me, to necessarily combat it because I don't really care what people say about me. But I want to know people that I work with closely. I want them to hear and know what my... Uh, what my thoughts are on football, what I, what, what I want to give to football, who I am and what I am as a team player. So luckily I, I was able to make that connection, um, speak with him. And then he gave me a great opportunity to go and experience something new, something you know, for myself and my family to throw ourselves into. Um, I've always wanted to play abroad, but you know, that's, it, would be a, it would be a lie to say that I didn't want to spend my whole time at Man City. You know, I, I would, I'd have happily played for them for the rest of my career um, and not played abroad, but it seemed like too good an opportunity to turn down when, um, you know, a couple of days left of the transfer window, it was third or fourth choice at City or to go and play in Serie A with Torino in a, in a beautiful city, so I took it. When you're one of the few England players that we've got to speak to that's actually been abroad, because there aren't that many, what is it that you have brought back from the Italian way of doing things? I've brought back with me a whole lot more respect than I had um, for the foreign players, for integrating new players into the team different ways of playing football, different ideas. Um, I've got an awful lot more understanding of how coaches do things, uh, the ideas. Um, a lot, you know, I'm very, I'm, I'm pretty open-minded anyway, but it really kind of broadened my horizons to how things are done, how much I need to 
I've got ways of doing things, but I need to be open to the way other th people do things and I'm more accepting and, 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 and more driven. It's made me more driven because um, I went out there, you know, I was, I'm not a robot. I was, of, of course, nervous going out there. Um, I didn't know how I was going to settle in. New language, new city, um, everything new. And, um, and I loved it. And I, I didn't feel out of place. I didn't feel out of place with the team. Um, and it, I brought back nothing but good words to say about Italy, nothing but good words to say about um, Serie A, nothing but good words to say about potentially, you know, if you're ever in a situation where you get the chance to go and play abroad, um, go for it. Was it always clear that you'd have to find another club after your time with Torino finished? Yeah, that was 100%. And I said towards the end of that season that I was, I'd love to assign somewhere permanent. Um, you know, I'm at a, a point in my life where I want to be set. I want to be set. I want to have a, a want to have goals. I want to be driven. You know, I want to I want to set myself up and and be somewhere. But that didn't come around because, you know, whatever the business side of it didn't work out. You know, too much money was put on my head, or people weren't willing to pay it. So another loan came about. You know, I was never I was never going to stay at City. They made it clear they signed you know a world record for a goalkeeper. They'd done more or less the same the year before. Um, they were looking elsewhere, so I was very grateful when West Ham gave me the opportunity to come here for a year. And uh, it's another one of getting my head down, being a West Ham player um, and fighting for the cause. What's it like working with Bilic and, and how does that compare with other managers who you've worked with? I, mean, I enjoy working with him, you know, I think, don't think you can hear a bad word about him, can you, as a person? He's a, he's a good man, first and foremost. You know, he's got vast experience, um, from by all accounts, a very good player as well, so... Uh, I'm trying to help him. I'm trying to give him as much as I can as a as a senior player who's been around. Um, you know, we need we need to do better as a team, but we're working on that. Would you like that move here to be made permanent? Um, at the moment, it's it's not even on my radar because you know I've got way too much going on and way too many things to focus on. Um, I know the the only certainty is that I'm I'm going to be here for the season no matter what. So that's my focus. I've not really got time to to take my eye off the ball and start thinking long term. Um, I'll have a year left on my contract at the end of this season. So, you know, hopefully it'll be a little bit easier to, to organise a, a permanent move somewhere. But, you know, all that's for the summer and hopefully after a, a good World Cup to be dealt with. So there's way too much on my plate to worry about what I'm going to be doing uh, next season. You've started something now as well, especially with all your fan base in Asia, because they're all getting the numbers 25. They love, they love numbers out in Asia as well. It's like lucky numbers. And you've gone for number 25 instead of number one, haven't you? Yeah, it was a number um, I've enjoyed. Um, it was my first number at City. I won the league in, in 25. Then I went, you know, in, in the middle of it, I went to Birmingham, had a good time. And it's a number that I never really wanted to go away from. But, um, you know, I was advised number one, obviously, is a lot more stronger and more powerful in the yeah. statement and you know maybe at the time it was the right thing to do but um when when I when I signed here 25 was available Darren Randolph still had the number one so you know it was it was an easy decision for me and then he went and they've still offered the number one because it was available but you know I'd made my decision and that's what I wanted to be the offside rule exclusives are available to download for free via audio boom and iTunes speaking about the career highlight for you at Manchester City winning the title I would love to know and I know Kate would as well what was it like on the pitch you know the Aguero moment <laughs> and you're down the other end as well which makes it even more interesting because I'm guessing you're getting input from the crowd are you are you even listening at that point I was in a I was in as lower place as the crowd because I was I was practically a spectator especially after QPR scored the second goal we just we just pummeled them for half an hour whatever it was 
and uh, I, I was sat, well, I was stood with the, exactly the same feelings as as every Manchester City fan. I couldn't believe what we'd done. I couldn't believe we'd we'd messed up after all the hard work we'd done. And yeah, I, di- I didn't think it was possible. I didn't think for a second it was possible. Even when Edin scored, um, you know, they defended so resolutely. There was no way of getting through them, and um, it was just an explosion in me. I, d- I don't know why I ran or how I was going to stop. If I hadn't seen Gale, I don't know where I would have stopped. But um, it's the it's one of the most you know spine chilling moments for me in my life and in my career. And I don't think it will be topped. If it if it is, then great. <laughs> yeah, if it is, then great. But um, as far as feelings go, um, it it was way too special, and I was wiped out. You know, I, I can't even remember how we celebrated. It just it wiped me out. It was um it was an emotional day, and uh, yeah, it will live with me for the rest of my life. Well, also in that particular way, I think it's a common football question, isn't it? Where were you when City won yeah. the league? Because I think I was at Sky Sports, and we had a whole had a whole team of team of journalists behind me and we were you know I was covering the matches live and um and and it was uh, and it was insane because the whole newsroom was glued and when it went in and when and when then the realization that you'd won the league you know we we knew it was huge it's it's going to become one of those questions where were you when City won the league where were you when Liverpool won the Champions League you know it's, it's one of those football questions isn't it the second image that I always remember from it was Sir Alex Ferguson's face. You know, that first shot they got. <laughs> I will never forget that, never. Um, I wonder, we spoke about Ballon d'Or winner Messi earlier. I wonder about your take on Aguero, actually, because you, you have worked with one of the best strikers in the world and he's continuing to show why he's so good. He seems a little understated. You'll know him as a teammate, but he seems to be the sort of person that doesn't shout too much. Do you think he should be in the list of Ballon d'Or? I know it's been dominated in recent years by Ronaldo and Messi, but is he being overlooked somewhat? He's not been overlooked, but the other guys just, you know, they're so consistent in, and they back it up with medals and trophies. And, and I think we all know that if Man City win the Champions League, a lot of it will be down to Kun. Um, You know, if and when that day does happen, it's going to be down to him. So that will be his moment. You know, I don't think anyone will ever question him that, that he's a world-class player. Um, the two guys you mentioned there, I'm sure that he's on their radar knowing full well that he's a world-class player. I'm sure Kun knows he is, but um, until you're, you're lifting the Champions League trophy or a World Cup, that's kind of probably the only time you're going to smash past those two because they're so consistent and they're phenomenal players. So, like I say, if and when Man City win the Champions League, that's when Kun will be right up there in the top three for the Ballon d'Or. And we'll all be ready because they've made it a bit boring now, let's be honest. <laughs> Um, as we've alluded to, um, Carly Telford, who is um, an England goalkeeper with England Women, has set some questions for you and she's um, guest edited the podcast. Every, every single one of these exclusives is guest edited by a woman to try and um, get women's voice in football, both men's and women, women's, women's football out there. Now, she's given us a question here, Jo, and I, I don't know if she's looking f- directly for a tip from you, <laughs> but she's said, how do you stay switched on in games? Um, the ones where you may have... Uh, only three or four touches a half. So I don't know whether this comes on the back of England women dominating teams like Russia yeah. recently. Um, but um, This is like an England-San Marino game, I guess. Yes. <laughs> Tell us, how do you stay switched on? Um, I think, you know, the, the pitch isn't that big. So it's not like you sat down and all of a sudden someone says, can you just get up and make a save? Or can you... You know, I, I've always worked um, with with my team and worked with the lines that we're pressing. And it's, it's not easy... But um, it's something that whether I'm heavily involved with the TV cameras because you're touching the ball or making saves, but I still feel just as involved even when I'm not. So for me, just staying 
using the same movements, working with the back four, seeing danger and preparing for it, even if it doesn't happen, is um, is the best way for me. From that point of view, some people would say, you, know, you look at Hugo Lloris at Spurs and he's captain. And some would say there's pros and there's cons to having involvement all the time in the match or being the goalkeeper and perhaps being brought into play every now and again. Um, do you think that a goalkeeper can make a good captain? Yeah, of course, because I, I don't think... The, the actual captain's role in football isn't isn't the same on the pitch as it is in cricket or um, you know cricket probably is my strongest um, influence because the actual captain is making decisions constantly he's changing the bowling attack he's changing the field um, but football you you kind of your captaincy role is more organizing the players before keeping you know being the link between the players and the management um, on the pitch. You kind of have to govern yourself. You know, I've captained on the pitch before and you almost, when you speak with the referee, you, you nominate a player that if you can't be there, that, that will speak on your behalf. So um, Hugo Lloris is a fantastic captain. He leads by example. You know, the, the bits that you see on the on the, the TV are probably like 2 3% of what his captaincy is and what his importance to the club. So, you know, whether he's able to actually talk with the ref and run the length of the field or whether, you know, someone like... Harry, for instance, will probably be the nominated guy for Tottenham to speak to the ref if you go, you know, if it's, you know, a 50-yard sprint, he's not going to do it. So Harry will take the power on the pitch, but Hugo's the captain on and off the field. We know that you work with coach Dave Watson um, at Birmingham um, and he came into the England setup with you as well. I know he, you know, credits those as, as some wonderful times working with you and getting the chance to help you show what you can do on an international stage, hugely satisfying for him as a coach. And I know that you have a strong bond with Dave as well. But lately there's been some criticism around your England performances. And I think if you're probably honest, you'll look back at certain tournaments and say, well, actually, yes, I perhaps could have done better there. What's the intention for you as far as your England career goes? Um, I want to do something with it. It's great. You know, I'm, I'm very proud to, to strap on the jersey every time. And I'm proud to cross the white line. You know, I represent myself, my family, my friends and my club. But um, I want it to mean something. I want it to count for something. You know, I've, I've qualified for every tournament that I've set out for and I, and I tend to do that again, which will get overlooked and, you know, which won't be seen as, as a great thing to do. But um, that's important, you know. And then once we qualify, I need to do something with that career. I want to I want to be, I want to amass as many caps as I can. I want to be, you know, the most the goalkeeper playing for England but I want more than anything I'd, I'd swap them all for a for a trophy or a, or a role in an important summer for the for the nation so um, that's that's my only intention when I play for England So is it fair to say there's some unfinished business there for you in terms of your England career? I think there's unfinished business for all of us apart from you know the guys who from 66 you know we've had, there's been obviously a lot stronger tournaments than I've been involved in since then but um, the hopes and dreams as an England player, once you get your first cap, which you know is an amazing feeling, especially when it wasn't something that was I ever I didn't dream about because I didn't you know it wasn't something I needed to dream about because I didn't think it was possible. So once once that happened, the only the next thing and the most important thing is to do something with your England career and make it make it matter. And um, you know I've I've failed ultimately up until now, so I need to change that. It's quite strong, strong from you. I'm going to ask you about some of your England managers. I'm, I'm just intrigued about Fabio Capello. It was a while ago. 
I know. Bit of an odd I, personality. Go I on. know what she's going to say. I know exactly what she's going to say. But in in terms of this podcast, we have all the time. No one knows whether it's me speaking or whether it's Kate. Okay. And I know that Kate had this story that she heard, and you can clarify whether this is true, whether the first few times he met you, he called you John. Well, I'm, I was called consistently John. <laughs> consistently. Consistently, which infuriated me. But then, <laughs> then I moved to Italy, and they called me John. Oh, oh really? Yeah, and I, and I was smashing my head against the wall because I thought it was just... I thought it was a total disrespect, and they thought my name was John. But... Um, Someone explained it to me that um, Gianluca is another is is how they'd associate J- Joe because Joe's not good. Joseph, I think they'd get their head around Joseph, but Joe's just such a a nothing name to a foreign person. It's um, it's short for something, or might even be Giuseppe or whatever. And so John John Art was how I was known. Um, but I'd, like I say, I thought it was. Um, at the time, especially because I, I'd not like I'd not really dealt with no, a foreign manager, especially a non-speaking foreign staff. You know, Fabio didn't speak great English. He did in the end, but the guys didn't. None of the staff spoke very good English. So I just thought, you know, and I was third choice goalkeeper the majority of the time that I was there, and almost a spare part to with how the with how the working went because it was a lot of eleven v elevens, and then you know the spare, um, you know the. The three people left over from the squad and the third choice keeper, we just went off and did. Sh- they just pummeled shots at me. So um, I didn't really, couldn't get my head around it. But now, um, all these years later, I understand it wasn't, it was just uh, their best way of, of saying Joe. Was that what you were thinking, Kate? Yes. Yeah. Yes, it was. Um, my mind cast back to 2010 and the World Cup and Capello choosing Rob Green to go in goal. And you're on the bench, David James is on the bench. And David James is sat there and he's thinking, why hasn't Joe got this? You know, and that's, and that's David James. Is it fair to say that that was probably very frustrating? Nothing against Rob, of course, but a very frustrating time in your career because here you are, you're playing for England. This manager's come in and you're not getting your chance. I was absolutely doing cartwheels to go and, and be involved in a World Cup. And one that I thought was going to be... I wanted to play, of course I wanted to play. I didn't have many games. I think I only had three games previous to that. So it was a big call. It was a big call for the manager, but I thought Rob had, had come into the into the um, into the World Cup in in good form. He'd, he'd had a strong season, you know, and he had one of those moments that we've all had. And you know, a, a lot of storm came around it because mm-hmm. it's it's an important time for them. You know, I've I've experienced it myself. I had it, you know, I, I probably sh- I should have saved the second goal against Iceland. And you've just got to deal with those situations in your career. You don't want them, but. Um, how do you deal with them? How do you go about that? Because, of course, we all think back to Iceland as the kind of last major game. And obviously it, it um, signified England's exit from um, Euro 2016. How do you deal with it? You just have to. Um, it's, it's part of the career. It's part of life. It's sad and it's disheartening. Not, you know, it's, it's not even sad on a personal thing. You know, I've, I've, I've been called every name under the sun. I don't think anyone could insult me and it would make me angry anymore. I really don't because... I'm not really interested in a lot of people's opinions. There's very few people that I hold dearly to my heart who can affect me, football and family-wise. But it hurt more that it affected the good, the good supporters, the people who'd come out there, and uh, it affected the squad. It affected um, because we didn't. We ultimately we left a tournament that we should have got a lot further in. Would you turn up if you were third choice goalkeeper? Of course. I would. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why? It's an interesting question because I think what some people don't know about you is how you will live and die 
for football, for playing, for having the opportunity, for never feeling like you're too big or or too little in that setup. I think it's always worth reminding people that it's you know it is it is about the football. It is about being there, part of that England camp, as much as it is about winning trophies. Yeah, I I, I love being part of that England squad. It, and it's and it's at its peak of that for me. You know, I love being around the players, the the environment, um, the talent, the skill, and I I want to be a part of it. I don't care how. Obviously, I'd be lying if I said I don't want to play every game and I don't want to um, influence every game. But you know, that's, that might not be possible in my career. But I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there. I'm going to put myself um, on the line for the team, on my line, on the line for the manager. Um, and I'm going to help in any way I can. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, The Offside Rule TV, for exclusive video football content. Obviously, we are a female-fronted football podcast. Um, we like to try and um, point out the times when women are getting involved and the good things going on as well. What's it been like for you observing the women's game, but also women within football as well? Um, obviously, City have a very involved women's team that, really exploded out of nowhere um, after, you know, City's investment in players like you, where they very, very heavily invested and achieved success. It appears that the same's happened for the women's side as well. So what's your take on kind of women? Do we need to get them more involved? Is it a positive thing? Do we need to do more? Well, I, like you say, I've been around, you know, one of the most impressive setups um, I've seen in football. And I don't mean that just in the women's game. I thought it was, I thought it was brilliant and I can't, I can't speak highly enough of the owners of Manchester City about the way they went about what they did. And they took over a club um, and they took over the you know a community. They took over a really important um, way of looking at football, the way Manchester City fans, the relationship that they've got with um, with Manchester. And they were, and, and to invest, you know, football, women's football was on the rise. But there was there was no no one told them put a gun to their head and said you need to you need to you know, make the youth academy better, you need to build this, you need to do this. But they invested heavily and the talent is phenomenal and the girls are great, you know, we got to work with them. Um, and, you know, we supported each other and, you know, that's leaked right the way through to having links with the with the national team. The national team's getting a lot more coverage on TV. The, you know, there's nothing better than seeing England do well in anything and we're, we're one of the strongest nations in the world. Was there any lessons that the men's team learnt from, from the women's team or any observations of the women's team that you picked up on no it's hard to say lessons but it just it's great to win isn't it you know and, yeah. it's, and it's great to have the backing of your country we're, we're very lucky because you know a lot of bad stuff gets said about the England national team um because a lot of a lot of a lot of the negative stuff is given a lot more light and is given a lot more attention than the you know the numerous positive messages we receive the numerous um young fans you know the numerous families who support you around the world. Um, you know when when we travel, the um, the negative stuff is is more fun and is more headline. So um, it's nice it's nice to see what a special country we are when we get when when the team does well. You know, and I don't expect the the public to get behind us if we don't do well because you know there's there's literally no point. But um, every every tournament I've turned up to, we've had amazing support every away match that I've played for England and home match has had you know stronger support than I've seen anywhere in the globe so um, it just made me 
even more excited for when that time does come when we do do well at the tournament. I'm really going to enjoy it. And what does happen then as well is that you have, as you're going to have now as after we finish this interview, is you're going to be flocked for selfies from fans who can't wait to get the camera phones out and all that. Uh, we'll be like doing the same, wanting to get a picture in a second, by the way. Um, but also just to end on the brand note, coming back to it, because aren't you now the master of selfies? Aren't you doing some stuff for some travel yeah, yeah. I've just, you can show us a thing or two. Uh, it's not, to be honest, it's not, it's not my forte. But um, you know, Sharon, uh, Sharon Latham. I don't know if you know her. She was a photographer at Manchester City for years. You know, a huge, huge personality, and she's um, a really, really close friend of mine. Um, and she's a really talented lady, really, really talented lady. And uh, she's done a lot of work. Uh, she finished her time with Man City, and she, you know, she had this idea about, you know, selfies are like are probably the most done thing on in social media done thing on on smartphones nowadays so um she had this idea of you know people it frustrated her because she's such a great photographer and she would never let you take a picture she'd always know you have to do it this way or do it that way so when she had the idea of you know people go to all these great places we see uh, all the important landmarks all around the world she wants she had the idea that of making it easy literally making it easy for someone to get the perfect selfie so Phenomenal story. I'm sure more of more will come with it because it's her. It's her baby. I'm just. I'm just helping her with it. But um, definitely someone interesting to listen to, and definitely something listen, uh, interesting to look out for. Um, and hopefully, it's going to help people create some memories. And on that note, <laughs> well, I definitely need her help because I'm the worst selfie taker in the world, as Lindsay will pay testament yeah. to. I can never get them right. Um, Joe, thank you so much for talking to us, um, for setting a few things straight, um, and also for sharing some of your experiences as well. We're going to go off and take some selfies with you, if that's okay. I'm hoping you've got all the answers. Sharon, <laughs> Exactly. We need to ring Sharon. On that note, it's over and out with uh, Joe Hart on this Offside Rule exclusive. The Offside Rule Exclusives is produced by Offside Productions and edited by Lucy Lavery. Well, a huge thank you to Joe Hart for taking part in this Offside Rule exclusive. And thanks also to England goalkeeper Carly Telford for guest editing this episode and to Hilton Hotels for accommodating us. You can head over on YouTube to the Offside Rule TV and hit subscribe because we'll be posting videos from all of our Offside exclusives. Our next episode with Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank is out on the 1st of November. Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.